The word of the Lord is powerful. So powerful, in fact, as I was, I, you may be seated. I uh, had my, my Bible study before church today with my friend, and we had a great Bible study, and we got done. I remember she's, I don't know, maybe almost 70. I got done. She gave me a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. The word of the Lord is powerful. Whatever we got to do. Salt and light. <laughs> Amen. So, beautiful thing. Amen. I had a great lesson with her today. And we're just going to believe. God's just going to, just going to, just going to help us. Amen. Amen. But I do feel, I felt directed of the Holy Ghost. And as always, we, we just need the Lord's help. We need the Lord's help. And and uh, just praying that God would even give me revelation of his word, of some of these verses we're going to look at even greater as we teach today. Uh, but um, I feel directed of the Lord to turn our attention this evening to the third chapter of the book of Zechariah for its it's in this third chapter that we are introduced to uh, what would be Zechariah's fourth vision that he's had up until this point for these first three uh, chapters. This is, would be his fourth vision that we're going to kind of dig into and look at. And uh, so I have creatively entitled this lesson tonight, Zechariah's Vision. And uh, so, so we're just going to look at Zechariah's vision a little bit and uh, see what the Lord would have to say uh, to us uh, from, from this story. And so this is what Zechariah sees, and this is what he records. Zechariah chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. If you have the, your Bibles, you can join along with us. We'll be looking at several verses in this chapter. If not, you can follow along on the screen. But the Bible says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel, of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. So in this vision uh, that he had been given by the Lord, he sees the high priest. Uh, this was not Joshua, uh, you know, the, the Old Testament. This was kind of a different Joshua. This was the high, the high priest Joshua. And uh, in this vision, he sees this high priest standing before the Lord. And the Bible says that Satan was standing on his right side, his right hand. Now, I don't necessarily want us to view uh, Joshua in this vision as just that which uh, would represent spiritual authority. Uh, I know he's the priest, uh, but I don't want us to necessarily look at it as that which would just represent spiritual authority or the fivefold ministry because that may would uh, leave some people out in the room tonight, but I believe we have to remember this is a vision, okay? This is a vision, and uh, I believe uh, his part in this vision would be representative of everyone who would desire to operate in ministry in some form or fashion, okay? Is that fair? Okay, he's a high priest. He operates in ministry, uh, but it's not just for 
pastors, not just for spiritual authority, but it's for anybody I believe that would desire to operate in some form or fashion, some capacity of ministry. And so here's this, here's this one who uh, represents everyone in ministry standing before the Lord. And the Bible says that Satan is on his right to resist him. Now, I'm going to need your minds a little bit here tonight. Think with me through this vision. And then the next verse says this, Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Now, we're skipping ahead for just a moment, in the next verse we're going to find, and we're going to spend a little time on it, but we're going to find that Joshua uh, has either personal sin in his own life or uh, some commentaries say that it's sin in his family. His, his, his boys were uh, marrying women that they shouldn't have married or uh, it represents the sins uh, of all of God's people during that time and Joshua was, was just the representative of all of those people. But uh, whatever the case was, there was there, we're going to find out that Joshua uh, has some sin upon his life. And how many know sin has to be dealt with? Sin needs to be dealt with, and sin and iniquity absolutely needs to be addressed. We can't just not address the sins that are in our lives. And in this text, when the Bible says that Joshua was standing before the angel of the Lord, it's speaking of just the Lord himself, okay? So it's not just some uh, angel like all the other angels. This was the Lord himself. And so here is Joshua uh, with sin on his life. Uh, the Bible will speak of it as uh, stained clothes and unclean clothing. It's representative. It's not talking about actual clothes that are stained, but it's talking about the sins. And here he is standing before the Lord. And, uh, uh, and so here is the Lord, and then the Bible says that Satan is standing next to him. And so, yes, sin needs to be dealt with, but how many know, and this is the point I'm trying to get to, we need to make sure that we're allowing the right person to address the failures that are in our lives. Okay, this is so important, uh, and somebody needs to hear me. For in this verse that we just read, Satan was there to bring accusation against Joshua for his failure. He was there to bring accusation against Joshua for the sin that was in his life. But the Bible says that the Lord rebuked Satan. The Lord did not allow Satan the opportunity to condemn Joshua. I'm so thankful today that our judge is also our advocate. Somebody said amen. Was he the judge? Yes, but he also was advocating on behalf of Joshua. I'm so thankful today that the one who does have the final authority is also the same one that's on our side, fighting for us. I want us to understand tonight that it's not that the Lord was making Joshua's failure out to be no big deal. It's not that somebody starts talking about his failure and the Lord's like, hey, you just be quiet. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to deal with it. That's, that's not what this was. He was simply telling Satan, he says, listen, I'm going to deal with Joshua in the manner that I want to deal with Joshua concerning his sin. I don't, I'm not going to allow you 
to deal with Joshua the way you want to deal with Joshua concerning his sin. Oh, and I'm thankful for it. Why? Because Satan was there to accuse. Satan was there to bring condemnation. Satan was there to rail against Joshua. But the Lord wanted to deal with Joshua's failure in a merciful, loving, and long-suffering way. Oh, hallelujah. And when somebody else tried to do it and deal with the sins of Joshua in a manner in which God didn't want, he said, you be quiet. You stop talking. The Lord rebuke you. Oh, hallelujah. And so here's the deal, and this is how this is also very applicable to us. If we're going to move forward in the things of God, if we're going to advance in the kingdom of God, we need to start allowing the right voice to speak to our failures. Okay? Anybody ever made a mistake? Anybody ever sinned and come short? Okay, so we're all on the same page? Okay, all right. So we've all had some failures in life. We need to make sure that when that, now, you know, we don't want those things to happen all the time and we need to grow and move forward, right? And, and, and learn from it and we don't want to just keep perpetuating the same stuff all over and over. But when we do fail and, and if when we sin, we need to make sure that the voice we're listening to in regards to that failure is the right voice. We need to make sure that the Holy Ghost, and we need to allow the Holy Ghost, and this is so key, we need to allow the Holy Ghost to silence the voice of the adversary so that we're only listening to the voice of the Lord in respect to our failure. Oh, hallelujah. Now, how many know we don't always do that? I mean, no, sometimes we go days with only listening to the voice of the adversary in respect to our failure. It is imperative that we understand. Now, this, if you've been in church any length of time or, or, or for a while, you probably have heard this taught or probably know this. But if, if you're newer, this is so important for you to get and to grasp and to understand. There is a difference we, it is imperative that we understand Satan condemns us for our failures. The Lord convicts us for our failures. And there is a massive difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation, just so we all understand, condemnation is that feeling that we get after we sin, after we fail, after we fall short, that's, I'm just going to quit. Come on. I'm just going to, I just can't do this. I just can't make it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm no good. I'm nothing but a failure. I'm always going to be a failure. I'm never going to get this right. I'm never going to be able to live for the Lord. I'm never going to be able to be victorious over this area of my life. Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to hit the mark. I'm never going to do right. I'm never going to. That's condemnation. 
and you will know the voice of condemnation because condemnation always pulls us away from the things of God. Okay? So if anything you're thinking about, contemplating, dwelling on, if you find it pulling you away from the things of God, that is condemnation. That is not from the Lord. Here's what this looks like. We don't want to read the Bible. Come on. It's just practical or not, but I'm helping somebody. We, we don't want to read the Word. I don't know. I just don't want to read the Word. We don't want to pray. We got all this stuff going on in our head. We feel so horrible. We feel like a failure. We're never going to get it. We're never going to measure up. So what's the point? What's the point of praying? We don't want to pray. We don't want to read the Bible. We don't want to come to church. Come on. Let's go and stay home. Now, we give other excuses. We don't give the real excuse. The real excuse is we, get, we messed up and condemnation's ruling our minds and we're dwelling on all this stuff and we feel so bad that we just don't want to be around this because pulling us away. But, you know, we'll, we'll blame it on something else. And so that's condemnation. People from the church call, we don't answer. Hey, let's go out for call. Eh, you know, I'm sick, got sniffles, whatever. No, you don't. You just don't want to be around spiritual stuff. Why? Because condemnation is pulling you away from that which is spiritual. I mean, you know, it doesn't take a a super spiritual individual, even even in a service on a Sunday, to see people who are, they're here, but they don't want to be here. They're battling condemnation so bad. They're struggling and beat down and discouraged. Why? Because they're listening to the wrong voice. But on the other side, when we allow God to deal with us as he would desire to deal with us, when he's like, hey, saying, you be quiet, let me speak. Let me speak. I'm not just overlooking Joshua's faults and failures. Yes, they're there, and I'm going to deal with them appropriately But I want to do it the way I want to do it. He does so through conviction. And the thing about conviction is that it always pulls us closer to him. you, You can resist it for sure. But if you allow conviction to work its work, it pulls you closer. Conviction, the root word to convince The Lord convinces you. He doesn't condemn you. He convinces you that his way is right. It's a beautiful thing. We're convinced. I don't want to do this anymore. Not because I feel horrible and I feel bad, but he's convinced me through the drawing of his spirit and because of his love. Anybody ever just messed up horrible and then you go to pray and you feel this tremendous love? And you just wonder how in the world can you still love me? Now, if that don't convince you and pull you, come on, somebody. If that don't pull you closer to him, I don't, I don't know what would. 
conviction, convincing you. It's a beautiful thing. It pulls us towards the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 7 9 says, Now I rejoice. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. This is the second letter that he wrote them. He's already wrote them one letter, and now he's following up with the second letter. And he says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. Now, sorry there means conviction. What were they convicted of? The first letter. He challenged them on some things. He had to deal with some things. He had to talk to them about some areas in their lives and convince them that this isn't what God wants and this isn't what's holy and righteous for them to do. And he says, Uh, I'm rejoicing, not that you were made sorry. He said, I'm not rejoicing that you felt sorrowful and convicted, but that you sorrowed to what? It pushed them closer to God. You see that? This conviction, this this sorrowful conviction, it, it propelled them and pushed them not away from the things of God, but to repent. For you were made sorry after a what? A godly manner. What you felt, that, that, that conviction, what you felt in connection with to your sin, what you felt was a godly sorrow. It was a godly manner. Comma, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. What he's saying is this, is listen, I know my preaching to you through the letter caused you to feel sorrowful simply because of the sin that was in your life. But that sin led you to repentance and that, or that conviction led you to repentance and it left you to salvation. So ultimately, we didn't hurt you, we helped you. That's what he's saying. We didn't hurt you with that. Yeah, in the moment, there was tears and in the moment, but it was a godly sorrow. It was God speaking to you. It was God convicting you. And it it didn't hurt you. It helped you. Because it pushed you and propelled you closer to the things of God. Verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. Pushes us closer to him. To salvation. Not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Condemnation. Conviction. The two things. Sorrow of the world. Of the things of God. Condemnation versus conviction. Hallelujah. Verse 11. For behold, this self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, conviction, a godly sorrow, conviction, what carefulness it wrought in you. So when you had this godly sorrow, this godly conviction, it pushed you to where now you have, you are a whole lot more careful about how you live. What caused you to get there? Conviction. Yay, what clearing of yourselves. You got some junk out of your life. Yay, what indignation. It's talking about being mad at the devil and sin and you're so indignant against the sins that one time pulled you away from the things of God. What fear? It's not talking about being scared. It's talking about respect and awe of the things of God. You have a greater fear and respect and honor for the things of God. What caused you to have that? Conviction. What 
vehement desire for the things of the Lord? What zeal for the house of the Lord, for the things of the Lord? What revenge? In all things, you have approved yourself to be clear of this matter. Conviction is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Oh, hallelujah. We've got to allow the Lord to silence the voice of condemnation and speak to us from a voice of conviction. See, but again, sometimes we'll go a week and a half condemned, feeling condemned, feeling condemned, feeling condemned, right? We do this, and it is not God's will that we do this. We need to allow the Spirit of the Lord to rebuke the accuser. Not so we'll be scot-free and do what we want, but so then we can hear the appropriate voice that will then lead us to repentance to get right with God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody said amen. amen. So we need it. We just, we need to ask ourselves. So in this moment, we sin, we fail, whatever. 30 minutes later, an hour later, two hours later, a day later, we need to ask ourselves. How many know we can't just be hearers of the word? We got to be doers of the word. So I'm really trying to help somebody, not to just for you to say amen in this moment, but for next week or next month when you fail and you do something dumb. You need to ask yourself afterwards, okay, what voice am I listening to right now? Okay, how do I judge? How do I know? Well, Pastor, I just don't know what voice. I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to teach you how to know and how to discern which voice that you're listening to. If it's pulling you away, it's condemnation. If it's pushing you closer to God, it's conviction. If it's making you want to separate yourself from the word, from prayer, from church people, from church services, if you're wanting to separate, that's condemnation. But if you're wanting to connect and if you're wanting to get more involved and if you're wanting, can't wait to get to the house of the Lord, that's conviction. So you need to be able to discern, and I'm trying to help you to how, understand how to do that, what voice you're listening to. Amen? Oh, Hallelujah. And then the next part of the verse we read in our text is, is so powerful, I think. For it says this, Zechariah 3 and 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath what? But he's in sin. Come on, somebody. You missed it. In spite of their failures, Sins, shortcomings. The, the Lord is rebuking Satan's voice in their lives because the Lord says, I still consider them to be chosen. Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody needs to hear this right now. You don't stop being God's chosen just because you fail. Just because you sin, just because you fall short, you don't stop being God's chosen. He has an intended purpose for you. Before you were formed in the belly of your mama, he knew you. He formed you for a purpose. And when we do dumb stuff, it doesn't stop him 
from choosing us and us staying his chosen for that purpose. Somebody said amen. Now don't 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 read into something I'm not that I'm saying. I'm not we don't believe in eternal security. That you can do whatever you want and you're still chosen by God and going to heaven, you know. We don't believe that. We know that if if we do not deal with the sins that are in our lives, it is going to separate us from the things of God. But that's our choice. That's our decision. Because when he views us, he views us as his chosen. Yeah, there's some sin in their life. Yeah, they got a long way to go. Yeah, there's iniquity. Yeah, they're not, they don't got it perfect, but they're still my chosen. This, oh, come on. This is why after we fail miserably and we come to the house of the Lord and, and we lift up our hands and, you know, the devil's telling us that God don't want anything to do with us and God's forgotten us and God's forsaken us and God's moved on to somebody else and we lift up our hands, maybe a little timid, not knowing, and all of a sudden we're engulfed by the love of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because you're my chosen. You, when you were yet sinners, I died for you. We were his chosen We were his chosen before we ever repented, before we were ever baptized, before we were ever filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We were his chosen. So if we were his chosen then, we're going to be his chosen even if we fail. I'm not giving us a license to fail. I'm just telling us if we fail, God doesn't boot us out. He doesn't say, well, I'm taking your anointing back and I'm taking your authority back and I'm taking your call back and I gave you a couple chances, bud, and you wasted them all, so good luck on your own. We're still his chosen. Ooh, hallelujah. We talked about in pastor's class. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Amen. You do what you want to do. Sin as much as you want to sin. And the call of God is going to remain on your life. Did you know that? (laughs) I don't think some of you do or you don't believe it. Now that doesn't mean you're going to be able to operate in it. Because you made the choice to exempt you from the ability to do so. But the call of God is still there. Drink a pack of whatever, snort of whatever up, and guess what? The call of God's still on your life. And guess what? You come back and you repent of your sins and get right with God. Guess what? Call never went anywhere. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. This is what I called you to do. Your mistake didn't define you. Your failure doesn't define you. He said they aren't Satan. You be quiet. I'm speaking, and I speak that they're my chosen. Yeah, there's sin on them. Yeah, there's, they're not doing everything just right. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Ooh. Think about this with me. Sit in my notes and God, you're going to tell me a little bit. Think about this. There are, right now, hopefully, we have repented of every sin that we are aware of in our lives. Right? And so some people be like, well, you know, that we're chosen because, you know, we've repented and as long as we, okay. But remember this. You've just repented of the sins that you're aware of. 
Do you think there might be sins you're not aware of? Okay, so if there's sins you're not aware of, what are you doing still playing the organ? What are you doing laying hands on people? What are you doing teaching a class? What are you doing? So a month from now, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the holiness of God. And when we get into the holiness of God, God's going to show me something like, I never knew that was there. I never knew that sin was there. And it was there the whole time you were doing ministry. You've got to understand what voice, the voice of the Lord speaking into your life instead of the voice of condemnation. No, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to know everything. We're not going to get everything right, but we're still His chosen. Oh, hallelujah. Some of you are looking at me funny right now. Yeah, okay. If we have to be perfect to do ministry, I'm out of here. Find yourself a different pastor. I thank God that I'm still his chosen. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. I thank God in spite of my faults, in spite of my failures, No, I can't live with unrepented sin in my life. But when I make my way back to the things of God and his conviction pulls me back to a place of grace and mercy and I ask him to forgive me, I'm still his chosen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody thankful for that? Oh, hallelujah. He says, I see your mistakes. I see your failures. I see those things. And we're going to deal with those things. We're going to deal with them. But you're still my chosen. I still desire to work my work through your life. I still desire to operate through you and in you. Somebody said amen. So it is as we continue to read our text, we then come to the part of the vision that we've been alluding to this entire time. This part that speaks of Joshua's sin or Maybe he was the representative in this vision. He was the representative of of all the people of God's sin. For the Bible says this, Zechariah 3.3. Now Joshua was clothed in filthy garments. So it's not, remember this is a vision. So it's it's all, you have to understand what, what he's seeing and what it means. It's not saying, hey, you just need to wash your clothes. This is indicative of a spiritual thing. A vision is a spiritual thing to prove something that's going on. And so this is the way that Lord chose to show Zechariah of the sins of the people was the filth on the garments. But it's what our text spoke to us earlier. Now, and here, just give me your minds a little bit. It's what our text spoke to us earlier that originally drew my attention to this, to this passage and to this story to begin with. What I'm going to teach now with the help of the Lord is really what kind of drew, drew my attention. For with his sin, okay, so you, you, have the, you have the Lord, angel of the Lord in front. You have Joshua staying sin. You have Satan on, on, and, 
being the accusing. So with his sin, with his filthy garments, and with his failures, that allowed Satan the legal right to stand beside him in an accusatory way. Okay? Just as when you go, if you have to go to court for something, because of what you did, it legally you give the prosecutor the right to prosecute you. Right? Because of what you did. Your infraction puts this legal reality into play. How many know sin, it's a it's a it's a, a legal transaction that we have come against the law of the Lord. When we are disobedient, when we break the law of God, it is a legal thing, and it allows the prosecutor, the accuser, to have the ability to then accuse. Okay? And that's why you hear condemnation, because you've given him opportunity to do so. Am I making sense? Okay, you give him the right legally, spiritually, scripturally, the right to speak. You say, well, he shouldn't speak in my life. Well, you shouldn't have did what you did. If you didn't do what you did, he couldn't have spoken in your life, right? And so, so here, here, here this is. And so the, Satan was there to accuse Joshua to the Lord, okay? But here's what I want you to get. Look at how specific the scripture was. For where Satan was standing. Zechariah 3.1. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now how many know that the word of the Lord never puts anything in by accident? There's nothing that's ever put into the word of the Lord without purpose or without reason. It's just our responsibility to figure out what the reason is. Therefore, the Lord wanted us to know exactly where Satan was standing in relationship to Joshua on his right hand. I'm going to say his right hand. Now, I believe, I believe the reason for this was because all throughout Scripture, either when, uh, when, when, when speaking symbolically of the right hand, either of a person or concerning God himself, it is always, remember this is a vision now. There's purpose to all of it. Symbolically, in Scripture, when speaking of the right hand, it always references the place of power and authority. So please hear me. Just think with me. I'm very thankful that God will rebuke the condemning voice of hell if we will allow him to. But what we need to know and what we need to see is that we give Satan a legal right to invade our space when we are clothed with filthy garments. When there's sin in our lives, we've broken covenant, we give the prosecutor, the accuser, a legal right to speak, accusing but it is the position in our lives that he possesses because of our sin that should concern us. 
For when you and I sin, it allows Satan to dwell in the very place where our spiritual power and authority should be residing. This is why, and let me just bring it to the practical so, so you know that I'm, I'm making halfway sense here. If there is sin in our lives, how many know if, if you come to the house of the Lord and you know there is unrepented sin in your life, and we call for all the sick to come up and we, we need people to pray. Instead of going towards them to pray, you're going back away. Right? If you know that you, there is sin in your life, you're not going to be like, oh, bless God, I got so much faith right now, I'm going to lay hands on the sick and everybody's going to be healed. Right? Come on, let's be real. If you know there's sin in your life, you're going to be like, I want, yeah, brothers, you go ahead and y'all can go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Right? Come on, you've done it. How many know if we if we we come to the house of the Lord or whatever, and we're we're struggling with all kinds of stuff, and we've failed, and we we've had two or three pretty carnal days and we come to the house of the Lord and how many know we're not we're not all pumped up for operating in the gifts of the spirit right we're not we're not looking around God lead me to somebody to minister to come on God speak to me give, give me a word for somebody I want to minister a word to somebody we don't do that we just sit there we sit there when we, we open doors we shouldn't open, and then for days, we feel spiritually powerless to do what God has called us to do, right? How many, I just, I just have to wonder, you know, I'm asking for my own self, but let's, I think it would do us all good to ask ourselves this question. I don't know that we can answer it fully, but it's something worthwhile to think about. How many days out of a year are we not operating in the power and the authority of God simply because we're entertaining things we shouldn't be entertaining? How many days have we exempted ourselves from the battle because of doors we opened up to sinful things? Let's just, let's just get real. It's really hard Somebody calls, brother, sister in the Lord calls you on the phone. They're not doing well. They have a crisis and, and they need prayer. It's really hard to pray over the phone with someone with faith if you had to pause the rated R movie to answer the phone. Right? It's going to be difficult. It's really hard to be sensitive to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and operate in the Spirit if we're flirting with things we shouldn't be flirting with. Doing things we shouldn't be doing. I'm preaching to all of us here tonight. I'm preaching to myself tonight. Now hear me. Yes, Satan would absolutely love nothing more than to drag us all to hell. But I think, Sister Fable, I also think he'll be completely content 
with us going to heaven. But allowing him to take up residence in that place of power, authority, a third of the year or whatever, hopefully not that long. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to be able to pull them to hell. They're going to snap out. Of this. They're going to repent. They're going to get right with God. But you know what? If I can just keep doing this right here, and if I can just keep getting them to open this door and open this door and open this door, mess with this and mess with that, do this and do the other, then for many days I can operate and dwell in that place of power and authority in their life, and therefore they have no access to it. Hallelujah. Days of carnality leads to days of exempting ourselves from truly being used by God. Days of complacency leads to days of spiritually operating in a place of weakness and timidity. How many know we're so timid? Right? When we're not doing what we're supposed to do, how many know we're so timid when it comes to the things of God? We don't operate in boldness. We don't operate in power. We don't operate in authority. Why? Because somebody else is dwelling there. The accuser. Think, think of it like this. I'm trying to be real practical so we understand. But have you ever noticed, let, let's say you're scheduled to do something in ministry. Whatever it is. But you're scheduled to do something in ministry. It's a big deal for you and and, and, you know, it's, it's God's wanting to use you and teach a Bible study or be involved in something here at the church or whatever it is. Have you ever noticed how much greater the temptations are in your life right before you're scheduled to do something great for the kingdom of God? Amen. This is why the devil's no dummy. He knows that if we were to fall to that temptation, fall to that thing, that he knows we would, more than likely, find a place of repentance. But he also knows that we're, gonna, we're not going to feel bold and powerful. It's quiet tonight. But it's right. And this is, this is the stuff we got to recognize about the attacks of the enemy. We have to be watchful. We have to be aware. We have to understand. If you start, if you start um, you know, so a, a couple years ago, I was asked to, to preach a, a pretty big deal for, for us in our kind of our context and, and uh, conference thing. And when I tell you, like, the month leading up to it, I mean, that, that, the devil just hammered me. Hammered me. I'm like, what in the world? Like, obviously more than normal. More than usual. Well, this is why. He knows what's going on. He can read a flyer. But what you have to understand is if you start noticing like an increase, how many know there's just the daily stuff, right? So we kind of understand that and we're trying to operate and live above all that. There's just the daily stuff. 
But if you start, if you start recognizing an increase of temptation, an increase of those kind of things, there's a purpose. There's a purpose. There's a purpose. And so you have to, you have to connect the dots. Okay, why am I feeling all this stuff? Okay, I see now. This is what God's, this is how God's wanting to use me. You, you guys know, you guys, under, we have to know this. The devil cannot read our minds. Okay? Only God can do that. God knows the intents of the heart. The devil doesn't know the intents of the heart. But the devil has been the devil for a long time. And he's got really good at being the devil. And so he pays very close attention to everything we say, everything we do. So think about this. You know, you, 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 you come to the altar and you pray and you feel like God is calling you to do something. Right? God's, call, God's calling me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a, a group Bible study. I feel like God's calling me to start a group Bible study. Or God's, God's, using, God's calling me. I believe God's going to use me in the gift of faith or God's going to whatever. Okay? And so what do you do? You're excited about this and, and you got your accountability partner or whatever and you call them on the phone. God is going to, I believe this, felt this in prayer. I really feel like God is going to use me this way. Well, guess who heard that? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't say stuff and just go around. Because how many know we're not supposed to be afraid of the devil? I'm just saying when we say stuff and when we talk and when we talk vision. I remember one time, I remember one time I, I, I was in the old church and I got up and I started preaching all this vision. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And somebody came to me and I said, you know, you, you, really, you really shouldn't do that. I was like, why? They're like, well, when you start talking about all that stuff you're going to do for the Lord and the church is going to do, the enemy's going to come after you. I was like, well, that's, yeah, but I'm not, you know, we're not afraid of the enemy. You know, we, we have vision. Let's, let's do this. So that's not the, but what you have to understand is that it is, it is part of it. It's part of it. The enemy is going to come. Is this okay? Okay. So the, when we talk about stuff and we talk about being used and when we talk to people about it and we share it and we cast vision, all this kind of stuff, the enemy's going to recognize that and he's going to come after us. So don't. Don't wonder, don't uh, be confused if you start talking greater ministry and all of a sudden now you start experiencing greater temptation. Oh, hallelujah. You know, if you're not doing much, the enemy doesn't have to mess with you. He doesn't have to mess with you. But if you're starting to try to do something for the kingdom, the enemy's going to fight back. And the more you do, the more he's going to fight. Right? Higher levels, higher devils. You know, that whole deal. All right. So the enemy wants to keep us in this place where we're operating with timidity. He wants to keep us. Go ahead and repent, go, whatever. But, you know, it's going to take a while. And so we just have to understand the voice of the enemy, the voice of the adversary, and we have to strive to live above those things so we don't fall into those traps. Somebody said amen. Oh, hallelujah. So our text continues. Everybody good? Our text continues with the Lord speaking. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 4. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments. Remember, this is the Lord speaking. And he says, Hey, listen, 
take away those filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass before thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Come on, is there anybody thankful for mercy tonight? Is there anybody thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ? He took away the penalty. He took away the sin, clothed us with righteousness. Come on, I'm grateful for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Anybody thankful for mercy tonight? Thankful for the cross. Thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. Anybody grateful that the judge gave us a verdict, but the verdict was a verdict of grace and mercy and forgiveness instead of condemnation and death? Oh, hallelujah. But then watch what it says next, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 5. And I said, let them, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. Now what you have to understand is when it speaks here a mitre, it was like a small, it would have been like almost like a turban. It was a small kind of turban-like thing that the priests would wear. And on the front of that turban uh, was, was a gold, it was gold-plated on the front. And it was inscribed, so the priests would wear this as they were doing their priestly duties. This deal and gold plate on the front. And inscribed on the front of that gold plate was holiness unto the Lord. So as they were going about their day and doing their priestly duties, this was holiness unto the Lord. And so we see here that his filthy clothes have been changed and clean clothes have been offered to him. Again, it's not about the clothes. It was a vision. It was speaking of his iniquity being dealt with and the sins being forgiven. And now on his head is this reality of living a life that is holy unto the Lord. But it's this last part, and I'm, I'm wrapping up here. But it's this last part of the verse that I want you to see. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 5. And, and I said, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord. What? Now understand, up until this verse. Now when it says the angel of the Lord, it's not talking about just a random angel. It's, that's the Lord. Up until this verse. The Lord has been operating from a place and a position as being the judge. And here's what the Bible says about that place of judge as God being the judge. Daniel chapter 7 verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days, that's God, did what? Sit. Sit. Whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was pure wool. Well, his throne was like the fiery flame and the wheels as burning fire. So get this. Once the Lord, as judge, he sat. But once the Lord accomplished his role as judge in our text, he's then released from that role and now he stands by or stands beside Joshua. <laughs> Did you get it? I believe with all of my heart this is showing us the fact that in that place of power and in that place of authority where Satan once dwelled, 
Now the Lord God Almighty is standing in that place of power and he's no longer having to sit in the place of judgment because now he's been released to stand in the place of power and the place of authority in our lives. Our holiness unto the Lord puts us and allows us to operate in a place of power and authority. So listen, this belief, why do we got to live this way? Why do we got to dress this way? Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? You are missing it by a billion miles. And you're listening to the wrong voice. You miss it all when you question all this stuff. Listen, that's why hell fights holiness and righteousness so hard. Because he wants to continue to dwell in that place. Stripping us of every bit of power and authority that has been given to us by God. But when we come out from the world and when we are holy unto the Lord and when we separate ourselves and we do not touch the unclean thing and we live lives based upon the holiness of God, it allows the judge to move from a place of judgment to to then stand in the place of power and authority. Now we're not just operating with our own flesh to accomplish what God has called us to operate in, but now we are We are operating through the power and the authority of Almighty God. I'm here to tell you what we're going to accomplish in the end time cannot be accomplished by physical means, through our own wisdom, through our own abilities. It's going to take the power and the authority of Almighty God to accomplish end time things. And in order for that to happen, we've got to be holy. We've got to be righteous. We've got to be a people that love the holiness of God. Somebody said amen. Hallelujah. Just stand. Lastly, the final verse from this text. Zechariah 3 and 6. And there's so much to this, man, that could be preached. But Zechariah 3, and the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua. He was serious about this. He was preaching to him, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts. I know you came in here and your clothes were dirty and it signified sin and all that kind of stuff. But he says, if you will walk in my ways... And if you will keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge. I'm going to put you in a position of being able to have authority. Come on, somebody. I'm going to put you now in a it's It's no longer Satan dwelling in that place of power and authority. But because God is there, it's going to elevate you to a place where you are operating in a place of power and authority. And shall also keep my courts. Now watch this. Remember, remember where they were, the vision, there's angels everywhere. And I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Who are these that stand by? It was the angelic host of all of heaven. 
when he speaks of walking among those, he's speaking of the angelic host. So hear me, when we walk in his ways and when we keep his charge and when we live lives of holiness unto the Lord, we are given opportunities to serve him. We are given opportunities to work in power and authority. But then we're also given access to walk in heavenly dimensions. Listen, I'm not saying we're going to be transported to heaven, but we're going to be given access in the here and now into the realms of the Spirit, into greater dimensions of His glory, like we've never operated in in our life. Come on, Ephesians 3.10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, those heavenly things might be known by the what? By the church. I don't think I gave him that verse. But the things in heaven are going to be made known by the church. It's not talking about when the church gets to the over yonder. It's not talking about when we get over there to heaven. It's talking about here and it's talking about now. It's talking about God's willingness and God's desire to show the church heavenly dimensions for you and I to walk in the dimensions of the spirit, the dimensions of the heavenly where angelic hosts dwell is where God would desire to lead us guide us and direct us. Come on, somebody. Lift your hands, lift your hands, lift your hands. Come on, somebody. Praise him for his word. Thank you, Lord. Come on, somebody. Praise him for his word. Praise him for his word. Jesus, holiness unto the Lord. God, it's not a drudgery. Come on, it gives us access into stuff we've never had access into before. God, I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to be separate like never before. I don't want the enemy to have access into any part of my life. I want you to stand in that place of power and in that place of authority. Come on, let's come down. Let's come down. Let's come, come down with your hands 